Greetings, Sci-Fi Universe. Owen Cotter here. Join me, your host, as we discuss all things geek chic and out of this world on Sci-Fiction Radio, your galactic transmission portal to all things science fiction and beyond. In today's episode, I'll be interviewing diplomat, author, and space technologies expert Nick Estimiatis. Sit tight while Nick joins the show. Nick, you there? Yes, I'm here. Hello. How you doing, man? Welcome to the show. Great, Owen. Thanks very much. Great to be here. You're welcome, man. You're welcome. I was doing some research about you and the things you're involved with. Very cool stuff, I'm at. Uh, very cool. Um, thanks very much. It's 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 a it's an exciting ride. You're most welcome, man. Well, well, let's get started here. First off, for the listeners, can you introduce yourself? And uh, tell everyone what it is that you do exactly. Um, sure. I'm Nick Eftimiadis. Uh Where do you start? I've had a 30-year government career. Uh, most of that time that's been in defense circles. Uh, I've done a lot of futures work, futures technologies work. For seven years, I was with the National Security Space Office. Uh, did future strategic planning for um, space systems. Uh, I'm on a diplomatic assignment now with a station here in London. I've written a lot of sci-fi works. I'm a passionate science fiction fan, passionate astronomer. And uh, that sort of sums up in a quick look. That's awesome, man. So you're big into sci-fi. I know you've got some sci-fi books, which we're going to talk about here in a little bit. Just curious, being an expert, like you said, on uh, you work with future technology, what are your thoughts on like the future of space exploration and like, what do you think of companies such as, like, SpaceX, Bigelow Aerospace, and Virgin Galactic, like, privatizing the space industry currently? Oh, I, I couldn't be more thrilled. Um, you, you know, we're, we're at a really unique point uh, in history. We, we don't sort of have the same clear black and white history that maybe we are, you know, black and white political dynamics and global situation that we had in the 60s, which drove, you know, that Cold War and that, uh, kind of pushed us towards towards the moon, so we have a little less clear path. Even though we we have the technology, we have the technology now uh, to really start moving into space. But um, it's uh, it's going to take a little more than that. And I'm thrilled that the private companies have picked up where where governments haven't necessarily pushed forward, and they're uh, taking us into space. Yeah, I agree. I think it's really cool. I mean, like, I believe they didn't they cut a lot of, if not most of the funding for NASA, and like now, like these independent corporations are kind of taking over. I know you got specifically SpaceX is almost like the next NASA. They've actually recruited a lot of JPL people and stuff. Now, you yeah. mentioned being big, yeah, big in the sci-fi and being a sci-fi author. What I know you've got one book which you're going to talk about called Edward of Planet Earth. Are there any other sci-fi uh, books you've written in that genre, or can you tell us about that? Um, well, actually, I've written uh, a lot of articles. and I mean, I started a, a series on my blog on, um, what did I call it, uh, Intelligence in History and Sci-Fi Warfare. So I took the Battle of Hoth, and I've been taking the Star Wars battles and really outlining them and just outlining the intelligence capabilities that they all talk about and what their intelligence services would have to be like, uh, sort of that type of thing. So I've, I've had fun with some articles there. Uh, I am currently doing a follow-on. Actually, I'm pretty well close to completion on this uh, to Edward of Planet Earth called, uh, I think we're going to go with the Book of Edward. So oh, nice. Most of 
<laughs> yeah, most of the, the writing. And as you know, the, the first um, Edward of Planet Earth, I was very lucky that um, I uh, had Buzz Aldrin read it and, you know, gave fantastic reviews. Uh, I also got a lot of good advice um, from Bill Prady, who is, uh, you know, a co-producer for the Big Bang Theory TV show. Right. So, yeah, so I mean, he reviewed it, but more importantly, he, uh, you know, we, we sat down over a couple of meals, and he uh, kind of went through it with me, and he had a lot of advice on, on sort of how he would approach it as well. And uh, so I was really happy to uh, to have that type of insight and input that I could uh, bring into that work. So, you know, that Bill Nye, a few others have really um, uh, given a great review. So I've been very happy with the progress so far. Oh, wow, Bill Nye the Science. That's pretty cool, too. Well, speaking yeah. of the first book, Edward of Planet Earth, can you tell everyone about a little bit about the plot of the book, the characters, and so forth? Sure. This is, uh, you know, the, uh, the classic and quintessential hapless hero. This is a guy who doesn't want to be thrust into a, a great situation. He'd just like a simple life. He'd like a simple life where he, uh, um, you know, can, can have a relationship, can uh, settle down and, and just live his life in a very simple way, not major demands. He is the average person. He's real average. In fact, he's so average, he's uniquely average, just perfectly average. And in 200 years from now, it's a complex world. And Edward thrusts about in this complex world, trying to figure his way through, and he gets caught up in, in what could be a quest. And the quest is by the AI of the day to try and figure out the true meaning of life, the true quest for God. And he gets caught up in this and a whole series of events that he doesn't, he doesn't want to be involved with. And there are people who would prefer this not happen in the strongest of ways. And there are others that are very supportive of this great quest through math, actually, to find out the, uh, you know, our own existence, the answers of our own existence. So it, it follows this, this hapless hero as he gets caught up in this event, gets caught up for the, for, in a relationship which starts to come into being in this event. And it's a series of crazy mix-ups that occur in a society that, uh, that is phenomenal in technology, but still in its essence the same in humanity. Well, that's really cool. Yeah, that sounds like a great book. And you mentioned that the book deals with artificial intelligence. Just curious, being an individual that works like with the Department of Defense and stuff like that, where do you see the technology such as like robotics and aerial drones specifically coming into play in the future years to come? And as a follow-up question to that, what are your thoughts of having some form of like a law of robotics perhaps put into play to prevent human casualties or injury? Yeah, I, I got to tell you, those are, you know, when people ask me, ask me what keeps you up at night, actually those are the things that keep me up at night. Um, because I, you know, my whole career I've worked in advanced technology, and I don't mean the technology that we're doing now, but the um, when I built space architectures, you know, we project out 30 years. So you're, you're, you're looking at technology that's going to appear decades down the road. So... Um, so you become pretty uh, comfortable in understanding, you know, technologic, tech, you know, technology growth patterns and and uh, you know points in which that technology will diverge and go one way or the other. Those types of things. So actually, I got to confess that that was a a baseline of how I wrote the book. Um, when I wrote Edward of Planet Earth, I, I really you know know the types of investments in technology and sort of the commercial influences and in which way lots of technologies are going. And so, you know, you project out X number of years and you sort of get a feeling where things are. Um, the, the impact of that is more important than the technology. And you hit on it with what you just said, is that what about laws dealing with, you know, 
um, robots and how and, and how they will be a part of our society. Will they govern that? Uh, you know, will we govern them, or will they get to a point where we succeed? Succeed um, abilities for them to govern themselves. So the classic is that sentinel or that drone, or you know, you, you have the robot cop on a street corner. And then she doesn't even have to look like a human being. It could be just a, uh, you know, your your classic lost in space looking Robbie the robot that type of thing. So, but but the robot sitting there, do you give it the the ability to make decisions? Can it look at something and say, hey, I can add in all these factors through its sensors. I can see there's a gun there. I have an IMS spectrometer. I can tell that something's just been fired. I can see X, you know, stress in the eyes of base, and I can see a gun lifting up, and all these things you can do. I mean, all these mm-hmm. things artificially can be done. So do you tell the robot at that point when you have a 96, when you can calculate a 96% assuredness rate that X, you know, people are in danger, given all these factors, do you pull the trigger? Now, right. technology-wise, can you do that? Sure can. Absolutely sure can. Um, you know, and, and the classic example is could someone arm a drone and, and just say, hey, go hit these targets. If they're unavailable secondary targets, you know, set and forget. Sure you could. You could do it on ground robots. You could do all that type of stuff. Now, the question is you get to the moral dilemma. Personally, right. I'm okay with it. <laughs> I think it's going to happen. <laughs> I, I, I don't think there's – I think absolutely it's going to happen. And no matter how much people say it won't, it will in the future. And to tell you the yeah. truth, if you were if you were looking at an eighteen year old kid who hasn't eaten for two days, who's been shot at for two days, who's scared to death and it's the middle of the night and he can't see anything, you might not you might not do too bad with the robot, you know. The robot doesn't <laughs> feel fear. Robot can see in the dark. The robot's right. you know, scared for its life. It's not exhausted, it's not hurting. So I, I wonder sometimes, really, which would be the best alternative here? Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, you got to put like these law of robotics. I mean, they, the technology is getting so advanced these days with these drones, especially. I know they're using them in mili- these military uh, situations, with especially using this technology applied towards military and in other sectors as well. Just curious, kind of in another side topic. You know, we're talking about law of robotics, you know, protecting human life. Based on your work with various agencies and being a diplomat, like you said, just curious as to your thoughts on international peace and the possible future unification of governments into a more centralized global structure based on diplomacy and shared common interests. Okay, so let me. I, I do want to be clear with your audience that I can't. I don't represent the U.S. government in the in the discussion. Okay, uh, so I, I want everyone to be clear. Okay, um, but that said, I actually teach this in a graduate program at uh, King's College here in London in the evenings. And uh, um, I would think, um, my opinion, decades out, maybe longer, but but certainly we're moving towards uh, world governance. Mm. Uh, You know, and and a classic example of this was um, we are becoming a multipolar world. Uh, you, you know, unilateral action, although every nation reserves the right for unilateral action, it's, uh, it's not happening as a general course of being. I mean, it, it happens to a degree, certainly, and, and you know, everyone will always reserve the right to do that. But look, you know, you, you can't go into country X generally and punch everyone in the nose. Look at the great, you know, efforts that are taken to build coalitions to do those sorts of things for legitimacy globally. 
for justification, to act in groups, to act um, as collective um, defense or collective security. So these are the first steps towards us thinking collectively as societies. And the problems that we look towards in the future, you know, things like collapsed nation states and mass migration movements and, uh, you know, fault states due to, um, due to environmental conditions, all those types of things that are really frightening events for the future because they can happen in mass and they impact millions and millions of people. The answer to those things is only collective. It's only allies have to work together. So it's a huge dynamic and change that society is now facing. But i got to tell you, all over the world, it's recognized. People understand that, and they are moving towards that. It's going to be hard. It's going to, it's going to have lots of bumps uh, along the path. But, um, you know, whether it be economic engagement or military engagements, you know, a, a societies are looking to the future towards a collective um, collective existence. There's no other way. I mean, you know, our globalization is driving us in that direction, and you're mm-hmm. going to get friction along the way. That's that's the problem for the next couple of decades. As cultures clash, as third world societies and first world societies clash, um, we're, we're going to run into we're going to run into some friction in um, in that process. But decades on out, um, it, it'll be an extraordinary world. Yeah, I agree with you on that. I totally agree with what you're saying. Like you said, we're kind of pushing in a way, you know, more than ever into a more centralized government structure. Just in kind of another, continuing on with this topic, now, in my opinion, we live in a rat race society of sorts where people kind of compete for the acquisition of, like, wealth, goods, and services. Like, what are your opinions pertaining to the increasing advancement of technology being applied to world problems, such as, like, famine, scarcity, and crime prevention even? Yeah, I, I'm actually a big believer in that, and I know people, other people will tell you, hey, Nick, you know, slow down. Technology is not the answer to everything, and I, I, I get that too. But um, uh, but there's some huge, some phenomenal things that we can do in, in making the world a better place, and that we are doing really, and and people are advancing in that way. I mean, everything from medical treatments. You know, I was looking. I showed my students a, uh, you know, we're discussing just technology and, and, and the future and what it means, particularly miniaturization of sensors and things like that. So just a small, tiny example, I had a $150 EKG machine oh, that wow. you put on your chest. Yeah, you hold it in, in your hand, you put it on your chest, it runs the EKG, and then it emails it out. Oh, so, awesome. Yeah, 20 million EKGs done in the United States, average cost of $800 a piece. In this case, you can buy a $150 EKG machine, and uh, and it's and it's you know um, it's approved in the United States. It's FDA approved in the United mm-hmm. States. So so just things like this, technology stretches us so far, and mm-hmm. allows us to do so much more. It can bring down costs. You know, there's always a heavy load investment before usually, but so there are a lot of advances to that. That said, there are also some of the problems that we look in the future. Um, are even driven by this. Our system of governance, you know, um, if you, you see how policy is made, just in the United States, uh, you know, we, we have a, the ability now for anyone in, in a podcast, in online, to have the power of, of what used to be just mass media. And that puts a heck of a lot of pressure on the, um, you know, on your national government. I mean, you know, Arab Springs are an example. You know, there's a huge amount of, of pressure driven by, by technology and social media now. 
Mm-hmm. So you start getting that, and governments aren't free to act anymore. They're not. They got right. pressure from their citizens. They have pressure from companies. They have pressure from other governments. So, I mean, you know, they, these incredible technologies of the day are just causing phenomenal stresses in societies, um, as well as some really, really dynamic solutions, uh, you know, extension of life and things like that. I mean, we're going to be printing organs. I mean, we already are. We're starting to print organs. We're going to be cloning them. In 30, 40, 50 years from now, I, I have a tough time seeing people live in less than 100 years. I mean, you know, with access to, to, to medical care. You know, they'll be having repeated hearts, cloned hearts and, and kidneys and replacement body parts and things like that, as well as the ability, you know, with uh, genome research that's being done to attack and destroy diseases. It'll be a phenomenal society. For the half. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> yeah, I agree no, with you on really, that, man. You know, that it'll be a problem. There'll be a whole lot of have-nots, um, unless mm-hmm. we're careful. Yeah, I totally so agree I, with you on that. You know, in Edward of Planet Earth, Edward Planet, sorry, I just want to say, it's not just a book. I mean, if you like Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, that's the style that the book is written in. So, you know, it's all that kind of absurd things that happen out of real situations. Um, but uh, it, it's also, at, at its heart, it's, um, it's a book of social commentary because all these crazy situations exist for the technology that we've just talked about, you know, at, it, at, it, at it, its most advanced level, and then sort of the impact of that on human beings, on their society. And that's, and the right. book kind of, I, I will tell you, it, sort of takes a shot at everyone from religion through, you know, through the mass transit system. Um, and, and you'll see a lot of us as human beings in there, our everyday lives in there. That's really cool, man. That's really cool. Now, you mentioned the 3D printing stuff. I know there's several companies that are experimenting with or utilizing the 3D printing devices uh, to create objects and various materials. Like these. I know, like, SpaceX uses AutoCAD design. They kind of like design some of their rocket parts and kind of implement them to build their um, rockets. Having seen the early stages of being able to replicate these uh, things based on this technology, I know you touched a little bit on like some of the printing, like of maybe organs and stuff, but what areas do you see this type of technology elsewhere possibly being used in the future um, to benefit humanity as a whole and also perhaps any other medical applications or even going further, the ability to replicate food sources? Yeah, well, actually, the, the brilliance of 3D printing as, as a manufacturing tool, and even, you know, you, you know there's a whole other generation of printing that's going to follow up in that, at printing at the nano level, you know, reprogramming things to print like, print like viruses and stuff like that, to reproduce like viruses, self-replicating, you know, entities and organs and things like that. Um, but that's, you know, next generation after that. But what 3D printing gives us, and whether you're printing food, whether you're making food stocks mm-hmm. out of it, or whether you're making tools, picture, you know, we, we all got a way of looking at this from, from Americans' perspective, and we've grown up in, you know, in our own society. Okay, now, now transport yourself to some African village, mm-hmm. which is 100 miles away from anything, and figure out how you're going to scratch out a living. Okay, now all right. of a sudden you have the ability to print tools. You have the ability to print, you know, uh, uh, parts, repair parts. You have the ability to print a hundred different things, everything from food stocks to actually to, to high-stress metal components. You know, all of a sudden life changes. Life changes dramatically. The two major technologies 
that will that will dynamically change the world over the course of the next few decades are going to be uh, energy independence, and meaning that I mean, and not just like you know big countries and big you know get, having our own energy, but distributed energy independence. So that little village that we're talking about in the middle of nowhere, all of a sudden is able to have computers, is able to have, you know, um, step up into the modern era because it's got energy. So distributed energy is one of them, and distributed manufacturing is the other. That's really cool. Yeah, I didn't didn't think about the tool part. Yeah, I mean, you know, guess what? You don't have to travel over 100 miles now to go buy things to repair a house, a house or to build them. You can build a house. You can build in building blocks. You can print them out. You can do all you know, phenomenal things like that. I mean, right now we are just scratching the very, very beginnings of 3D printing. If you take this 20 years down the road, I mean, it will be at a semi-industrial scale in every little place, you know, in every little village and every little town. So that really wow. drives yeah, I mean that's the big, huge victory in this. Yeah, I agree. I mean, with right, you. the, the rep, Go ahead. Sorry, sorry. Go ahead. I was just, I was saying like I just wrote right quick like the uh, replication topic is just such fascinating. I have a few other questions, but uh, like I had talked with uh, Gene Roddenberry's son about this a while ago. About he said his his comment was, well, if everybody could replicate stuff like like a Ferrari or what, everybody had a Ferrari. It was pretty funny, but. Uh, that's pretty pretty interesting concept we got we got talking about here. Um, you're the founder and chairman of an organization um, called the uh, what's called the Federation of Galaxy Explorers. Can you uh, um, yes, tell everyone? Yeah, can you tell everyone like what the organization is about and like what inspired you to create that? Sure. Um, what the organization is about, and the easiest way to think about this is something like the Girl Scouts or the Boy Scouts, except it's all focused on space. So we have mission teams that meet after school, you know, uh, a couple of times a month, like you would have your little uh, Girl Scout group or something. They meet and they do space things, and they do space science, earth science, engineering, rocketry, and what we call space citizenship, which is everything from sci-fi writing to, um, to uh, you know, learning about the Congress, you know, that type of thing. Uh, and it's it's a hands-on type of thing, so kids do all hands-on activities, and they have little uniforms, and they get badges and pins and stuff like that. So I got this idea some time ago, and believe me, you know, I'm not, like, egotistical enough to think I'm the only one who ever had an idea like this, and they said, hey, let's get something like the Boy Scouts and make it towards space. I- I'm sure someone thought of that before me, but the difference between thinking of that and doing it is – staying up, you know, to 1 o'clock in the morning every night for 10 years, uh, working on this on the side. Right. And um, right. so we're active in about 10 states. We have mission teams, as they're called. Um, we have a lot, you know, Buzz Aldrin and a, few, a whole bunch of others on the on the board of directors. Uh, it's a 501c3 nonprofit organization. And I was actually driven to it because I heard a, um, a corporate guy speak at a at the Space Foundation or at the um, National Space Symposium this 10, 12 years ago, 13 years ago. And he talked about the problem with space, about Americans being too risk-averse. Mm. And, you know, I, I mean, if you're sitting up on the corporate ladder making six-digit salaries, maybe America looks, you know, too risk-averse. But there are too many people I know who have businesses as plumbers or carpenters or, you know, or restaurants or something like that, and every day they get up, they're humping to make a living. You know, so right. life is not risk averse for them. 
If they, you know, if they fail one day, they don't make money. It impacts their lives and their families. That's not mm-hmm. a risk-averse society. Our society is anything but risk-averse. So I, yeah. I started thinking there's something wrong with that image and why aren't Americans into space. And um, this is what I came up with. It's sort of, um, I, you know, it, it's hard. It's, um, you, you have to really engage kids and work with kids. And uh, we've put around 40,000 kids through this. And wow. we, yeah, so it has been, we have summer camps, we have these after-school mission teams, we have special events. We have a gigantic 42-foot rocket that's converted to amusement park arrived that we are going to be unveiling uh, in the Washington, D.C. area, and I will happily extend you an invite to come to that. Um, oh, thank you. To, yeah, absolutely. Uh, traveling classroom type of thing. So, you know, we're making gains. We've put thousands, tens of thousands of kids through this, and we've actually seen our younger ones have gone to college and engineering and things like that. And our, our, our goal here is to take this mass in society, get 2% of the kid population, get 300,000 kids in it over a period of years. Let's do that because that's the way you make impact, uh, impactful change on an entire society. Right? That's the way, look, we all dream of a look in the future like Star Trek. I don't know about you, but that's, I, I look at that and say, that's where I want this planet to go towards. That's what I want yeah. to be the future, to look yeah. towards space exploration in that way. I, I think all of us in sci-fi really feel that way. So yeah. this is yeah, the way you're doing it. You know, you, you take the next generation and you, you know, so that, and you do it by the hundreds of thousands. So when they're grown up and they're, you know, looking at something in the paper and they see that NASA has done something, they, they know the significance of it. They say, hey, I remember, I remember having that in Galaxy Explorers. Or they go to their kids' schools and they say, why isn't my kid getting science or this and that? Or they vote and they vote space. I mean, that's, we, yeah. we build it on generations. That's the plan. Yeah, that's awesome. That is very interesting and very cool, man. I, re- I really think that, that wow, wow. Well, speaking about and the science fiction, oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, uh, for your for your for your listeners, anyone can get in, get involved at foge.org, Federation of Galaxy Explorers dot org. I mean, we need everyone from from writers to to filmmakers to people who are willing to work with kids. You know, if you think about the spread of that, you know, anything from designing uniforms to uh, to launching rockets with kids to you know running broadcasts and things. We, we we need that volunteer base. So anyone who really wants to work towards a future of, of of exploration, this is your in. This is your 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 way to get in. Nice. So That's fun. awesome, man. That's really cool. We you got we got a little bit. Oh, I was saying we got a little bit of time left. I have a couple extra questions. But pertaining to the science fiction stuff, uh, while while you were growing up, like what were some of the movies, books, or some of the TV shows that you really enjoyed? And are there any in particular that inspired you even till this day in the work you're involved with? Oh, uh, you know, it's not even it's a hands down at Star Trek. I mean, that's a that's a slam dunk. It's not even you know I didn't even have to yeah I didn't have to think twice about that. I mean, my wife looks and says, you know, for God's sake, you're like a rich fourth grader. You know, <laughs> she looks up and I have the Enterprise up on a wall or something like that. So um, yeah, I, and I mean, how could you not be inspired? By um, by a future portrayed in that way, by a positive future which humanity expands across the galaxy. I, I mean, to me, that just that that's it, hands down. 
That is awesome. Yeah, I'm a big truck truck guy myself. I agree with you on that. That's just like amazing stuff. Like uh, pertaining, we got one a little bit of time left. Well, I got one more question pertaining to the technology uh, stuff. With so many fictional gadgets, like in sci-fi, and technology now made reality, what might be some of the things you'd like to see become real or be developed further in your day? Um, I'm going to look. Quantum communications is going to be an extraordinary leap for us all. Uh, as that comes into being. And that's, you know, every time you read, you can read that people are out to communicating at a quantum level over 100 miles. So, right. you know, it won't be, full, won't be long before it's intercontinental. Um, and certainly, I mean, in my heart, the space exploration. Um, we've got to come up with a better lift means of getting off the planet. You know, the most expensive real estate, the most expensive trip is from here to low Earth orbit. I mean, after that, it's all easy. But... Uh, so some of the space exploration technologies, particularly the lift propulsion technologies, are things I'd really like to see us work in advance in. I'd like to see in my lifetime, you know, look towards the end and 20, 30 years from now, I'd like to see getting to space one-fifth of what it costs now. I mean, because that will open the doors to so much more. Yeah, I agree with you on that, man. And space exploration is something I really, uh, really am fascinated about as well. Well, you had mentioned the Federation of Galaxy Explorers website. Just right quick, if you wanted to repeat that one, and also are there any other website links or information you'd like to give out for the listeners to find out uh, more about you and your uh, various projects? Sure. Um, the Federation of Galaxy Explorers is foge.org. Um, you can just go there, and it'll, it'll, you'll see the whole organization layout, and you can contact us through there. You can contact me through there. Um, if it's okay with you, if you're all right with it, I'd like to give you a couple of links to post and maybe offer a discount on my book um, for your okay, listeners. Yeah. Okay, yeah, so sure. I, I'll send the links because, you know, F. Kenyatis is a tough name to, spend, to spell, so people <laughs> generally don't do well with that. Um, yeah. But I'll, I'll give you a couple of links and uh, about me. I have a, uh, a blog that I write on and just has some background about me. I've actually just, did a, um, just finished a book recently about understanding Americans. Um, mm-hmm. called Understanding Americans, A Guide for Everybody Else. Oh, and, uh, yeah, and, and the book was driven by the fact that living overseas, uh, it really becomes very apparent how different we actually all are and how mm-hmm. much work we have to put towards towards really understanding each other. Right, So, and I agree with you. Yeah. yeah, so, I mean, it's important. If we're all going to survive on this planet... We need to we need to take some efforts in doing that. So uh, so I very much like to give you those links uh, and you know, your listeners are welcome. Happy to happy to put a discount for everybody who listens to your broadcast because that's what what should happen. Mm-hmm. And um, and uh, hopefully we'll, uh, we'll we'll get a lot of people uh, that'll come and advance themselves in science fiction. That's what I really like to see. Totally. Sounds sounds great, man. Well, Nick, it was a, such a pleasure having you on the show, buddy, and I had a blast talking with you, man. Thanks very much. I really did uh, I really did as well. I, I appreciate being on, and uh, I'll look forward to our future. My pleasure, man. You take care, my friend. Bye-bye. All right, you too.